you uh, for this afternoon once again to, to worship you. God, I pray that you would, um, as you have already been, but that you would prepare the man of God to proclaim and preach the word of God to the people of God for the glory of God this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. afternoon almost said good morning there that is that is good good afternoon um what a joy it is to be with you all uh, and worship the lord with you all it is a joy to be here and, and get the opportunity to to minister god's word as as uh pastor josh said we we got to plant a church in philly uh, some years ago and we get the grind like we get it and i have a, I have a special place in my heart for church plants particularly church plants in tough areas uh yeah may the lord bless you in every way may you not despise the day of small beginnings and may you not grow weary in doing good uh, it's a joy to be with you thank you so much for, for having me um let me go ahead and open us up in prayer <clears throat> oh dear lord i thank you for these your people we thank you that we got to just sing true things about us that we've been saved, we've been cleansed, we've been sanctified. We're right with our God. We thank you for how you've loved us in Jesus. Thank you for how much grace you've given us in him. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your church, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless both. Pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, to the church who's been called and created by your word. Would you be pleased to sanctify us in the truth? Oh, Lord, your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen. Yes. I'm going to be discouraged at all if you kind of talk back to me. Kind of, right? Some people get carried away. Um, no, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and uh, put it in the wrong pocket, go. <clears throat> go and say amen when you get there. I assume you beat me, uh, but Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> thought about starting this with that famous theme song from 1969 that I was like, I don't know if anyone knows it. There's a story. I was, <laughs> you never know, you know what I'm saying? I was like, I never know. Uh, you know, the Brady Bunch was a movie, I mean a show, about this unique family. And the intro song kind of sets up what you're about to observe. Right? And it's like, you know, they talk about the mom, and she got three daughters, and one has curls. <laughs> right? That's one line. And then the dude got three sons. They're all grown men, but alone. And then they meet each other, and this is, this is how they became the Brady Bunch, right? It's, it helps you to know what you're looking at. <clears throat> well, we're looking at a special family photo um, this afternoon in Acts chapter 2. It's a famous family photo. 
Um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we get probably one of those just incredibly famous passages about what it means to be the church. Uh, when we feel like we get lost in our way or what we're supposed to be doing, it's not unusual for us to go back here and, and examine what they did so that we might align what we do. And the Bible wants us to know what we're looking at, right? We're not, we're not just looking at this random group of people. We're actually looking at a very special family. It's the very family of God. And in understanding that, we understand the activities they gave themselves to. We understand what they were all about once we understand who they actually were. So without further ado, I'm going to read the passage. We're just looking at one verse, but we're looking at one verse with a whole lot of nuggets in it. And so hopefully we can, you'll find some, some edification for us. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Please do hear the word of the Lord. God's word says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Dear saints, this is God's word, and we thank God for all of his word. We do ask that God blesses the hearing of his word and our eagerness to do his word. Oh, dear church, I want to commend this verse to you as you think about what we are to be doing. Uh, perhaps you're on that, you know, as you think about church and we think about reaching the them, you sometimes forget, okay, but what, what are we supposed to be about? Praise the Lord, we do need to be about reaching them. But one of the ways God has intended for the church to magnetize the them is to vibrantly live out the we. And that's what we see here. I have two points, and that is who is the they and what did they do? Who was the they and what did they do? And in that second point, we obviously have four points as we consider those means that we have listed there. Who is this day? Well, as I said before, right, this is the story, the church of Jesus. <laughs> I'm about to freestyle, but uh, <clears throat> this is them. This is them called by the grace of God, those who have been saved and washed and sanctified. Right, those who have a right relationship with God, those who were water baptized, amen. Uh, uh, this is the church of God. And what we see here is what happens when the they meet the family. Uh, you might know the, the story of what happens when they meet the family. Uh, there's many romantic comedies that have been written surrounding the normal awkwardness of meeting the family of the person you love. You've seen it, the story goes. Boy meets girl. After a period of time, they come to pledge their love for each other, but they know in order for the relationship to truly work, they have to meet the family. They can't just love each other. They, they also want the ones they love to love the one they love. But each of their families, they want their families to approve of their loved one. And that's how the comedy goes. And that's, you know, ripe for all kinds of material because it never goes well. Either the family doesn't like them or they don't like the family. Well, saints, that kind of confusion, that lack of affection doesn't apply to a Christian in a local church. God ensures that when he gives us all new hearts, when he gives us all new identities, he gives us all new affections, he gives us his, his spirit to lead us in the right direction, right? When God makes a Christian, he ensures that every Christian loves the family and that the family loves every Christian, it's what marks the Christian community. It's what marks each Christian. And this is one of the big points of the Apostle John's letter. 
1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Well, how do you know? Well, I know because I know. That's not what he says. You, we, we, we know that we have been saved and transformed. We know. I'm just going to keep pointing to you from that song. Thank you for serving, by the way. Like, we know we've been washed. We know we've been sanctified. One of the reasons John says how is because we love the family. He says we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Right? This is what salvation coming to a soul looks like. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised to see what we see here in Acts 2. It's no surprise that this community of people who have been saved by the same gospel are now living as the same body. Uh, we're told in Acts 2.46 that this wasn't just them on Sunday, but this was in fact their daily practice. They lived worshiping the Lord together. What y'all did when you started a church was started a new branch of the family. Uh, just to anchor us in context, it's important for us to understand that this is a snapshot of a Christian community. Uh, the verse begins with, and they devoted themselves. This isn't a call. This isn't actually even a command. This is describing what Luke um, had heard happened among this, the believers, right? They devoted themselves. There was this reflex that happened among the people of God when they got hit with the gospel of God, when they turned into the family of God, and he was like, and it was crazy, worshipful devotion. Uh, there is this day, this they is the same day that in a few verses previously, Peter was preaching to, who repented of their sins, were baptized in water, amen, um, and who were added those souls to the family. That's who this day is. This is those who had repented of their sins, turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, were baptized into the fellowship of the church, and, <clears throat> excuse me, were added to the number of the saints. Commentator F.F. F. Bruce writes, the conviction of sin that followed Peter's preaching was no momentary panic, but filled the people with a long-lasting sense of awe. That's what we see described here in verse 43. Some con commentators go as far to say, we, we often maybe think of this as a conference that happened uh, one weekend in the life of the church, but this is actually Luke describing what identified them over a period of years. This is what they were like for years. This was the new them, right? Similarly, their commitment to follow Jesus wasn't a spur of the moment thing, right? It wasn't owed to any emotional pressure. It was that commitment that shaped the rest of their daily lives immediately and observably because God had done a true and converting work, transforming them by the grace of his gospel. I don't know if anyone in here grew up in a Christian home. Oh, and I actually want that for my kids. I want my kids to not remember a time in their life when they just did not hear Christ's name among them, when they did not own Christ in their heart. One of the things, though, that can happen when people do grow up in there is they can sometimes forget when it happened, the power of conversion. If you've came out the world, you walked with the devil conscientiously, you were numbered among the heathens joyfully, and then you remember what happened when you met King Jesus. You know the old you you're ashamed about, the one that the apostle Paul was writing of in 1 Corinthians 6. Y'all used to be known by different names. You used to be branded by different sins, but something happened to you. You met the Lord Jesus. Well, this is what's happening with this community. They, they didn't grow up in a Christian home. 
the gospel hadn't come yet, right? They, they came to meet the Lord Jesus, and as happens when people meet the Lord Jesus, they get hit with Almighty God. They get undone and redone in an instant. They get broke down and then born again. They, 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 they become new creation, uh, creations, the, the apostle will later say, completely new creatures. And that's what we see happen. What is this new creature creation family looking like? We shouldn't look at this church, though, with too much jealousy as if this is a perfect church. No, if you keep reading, you keep turning pages, you'll see the same sin in this church that is in other churches. You'll find that there's much error in this church. There's much growth that's needed. But even so, and even still, we see a beautiful picture of what it looks like for the people of God to live like the people of God. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you've heard it as you've been in church communities before, probably perhaps even some of your testimonies and stories, what got you to the gospel, what got you open to the gospel was seeing the people, seeing how it changed the people, seeing how it reformed the people, seeing how it created that new community, that, that new Christian group that you were profoundly intrigued by. Saints, that's been God's M.O. from, from day one. This, the, 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 the Pentecost happened, the Spirit fell, salvation's flying around, and you get this, this church, and it's a big church, 3,000 people, but what marks them is the same reflex because they've been indwelled by the same God. This passage is not prescriptive. It's descriptive, meaning this is not commands. Though they could be. All these things are commanded other places in Scripture. Prayer is commanded. Be constant in prayer, right? Devoting to the Word. That's command. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Everything in here is commanded. But this is not what we're actually looking at. We're actually kind of peeking over. We turn the TV on and we're watching the story the Church of Jesus. This is Luke's way of freezing for us what it was like. By God's grace, we get early footage of the first church that's been written down and preserved for our edification. You know, some people want to know who they are, and so they, all, they put spit in a vial and they mail it. No shade if you did that, right? You're like, yo, I'm part Nigerian. Like, uh, that doesn't actually add life to you in your relationship with God, this kind of stuff does, though. When we get to look at our heritage, we're like, yo, what, what, what were we like at the beginning? And you find out, you look around, same thing. <laughs> we're still devoted to the word, still fellowshipping, still breaking bread, still offering up the prayers. And they give us great encouragement in our connection with the, the body, the universal, the, the church over all time and all places. Uh, what we observe is their love and their faith, and we can be instructed by it. And so, again, I, I'm just trying to preface so that we, you know, not to take this in the, the wrong way or add to it the wrong way, but it is something helpful for us to look at and be inspired by, and I would say even be instructed by their example. This has often been referred to as means of grace or the means of grace. I don't like the means of grace. I like some means of grace because all the means of grace ain't here. Uh, so this is some of the means of grace. This is some of the things God has given to root us in Christ, to build us up in Christ, to establish us in Christ, to encourage our joy and thanksgiving in Christ. It's not all of the things 
Like, this is not an exhaustive list of things we must do to keep our soul healthy. There's no mention of singing, right? And we're commanded to sing. There's no mention of evangelism, though clearly souls are being added to their number. There's no uh, call for self-reflection or confession of sin. There's no mention of repentance, no mention of the various and many ways of service that are possible in any given church community. Then the list can go on. Again, these are some means, but we find they are essential means. And without further ado, let's consider them. First is see that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. One thing to know is that devoted applies to each thing. It's not like they were devoted to the teaching and they kind of broke bread. But it's they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to the prayers. Devotion actually describes all of the activities. And we find the first one listed, and we're not surprised it's the first one listed. The, the church that is created by the word, we find, was devoted to the word. Devoted, right? It's a commitment that carries forward. It's a continued focus. It's a continued intensity. A, a couple translations have it that they continued steadfastly in it. They endured in this. They persevered in this. They constantly gave themselves to it. They loved. Did you say that again? Yes, yes, I will. They loved to hear God's word. Do you love to hear God's word? They were devoted to the word together. It's kind of fascinating just to think that one thing that has marked Christians for a couple thousand years is that they love to hear the word. They love to hear someone from their number get up and teach them what God said. Tell us what he said to us. This is not because of the teacher. We get no sense that they were gathered because of the teacher, but because of the teaching. And the teaching is the showcasing of the gospel, of the grace of God, as the theme of and the context of the whole counsel of God found throughout every page of Scripture. No wonder there was a devotion and a trembling before God's word, right? Those who were born again, his word had become the food for their souls, as it is for us. We no longer live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I know I like to eat. I like to eat a lot. <laughs> well, the saints love to eat. They come to find what the true food is. They come to find that they have access to that true food, and they were eager to eat from the Lord. Uh, you remember Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Uh, those two sisters, one was busy serving and one was faithfully sitting. Well, we find in this text that this was a merry church, marked by choosing the good portion, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. The Christ they had come to love, they were now eager to regularly hear his voice teaching in them. And, and that's what's occurring here. It's not that it was the teaching that originated from the apostles, but it's that the apostles were tasked with teaching the word of Christ. The reason the apostles were left, Jesus said, is I still have stuff to teach. The reason they could do miracles and we can't. The reason no matter how hard Pastor Josh goes, he, people ain't looking for his handkerchiefs to fall on him. Right? And that's because he, had a different, he has a different job as a pastor than the apostles. The apostles were authorized representatives on the earth to speak the word of Christ as if it was Christ. So they were like, there's, there's work. Feed us more. Feed us more. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, again, this is what marked the, the congregations as they went around giving that word. It says, we thank God constantly for, uh, for this, that when you receive the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work among you believers. I was sitting over there as we were seeing, I was like, man, I used to, I remember getting drugged to church and being all kinds of frustrated. I remember when they would repeat the thing, I was like, stop repeating. I remember when it seems like, don't do another song. I remember when the preacher would be like, bro, wrap it up. And then I remember when I became alive. I was like, oh, they were talking about him. Go ahead. Give him a little bit more. Sing it again. Keep, take your time, preacher. Don't worry, I won't take too much time. It will take a little time. Makes a difference what you understand is happening. Oh, God's addressing us when this book is open. Let him speak. We're one of the more biblically illiterate generations in the history of the church. Because we come to church like once a week, and we're eager for that to get over. We find that's just not what they did. They said, oh, Paul's in town? Just let's roll. What day? No, every day. What do you mean what day? Gonna bring that word? Let's, let's go. You the kiss falling asleep out the window. Because he was preaching long into the night. These days, nobody would be there. <laughs> uh, but they were eager to hear from God. Hold up, Pastor Josh is preaching? All right, we there. Dr. Strange can wait. We, we try to get up in this doctrine. <laughs> we try to get the doctrine that sound. <laughs> We gather by faith, we listen by faith, we persevere in this by faith, knowing the received word is at work in us, and God's word will bear fruit in humble hearts. It always has, it always will. They're eager for the word at all times. That's why, that's why there's pastors. God has charged men to be focused, devoted to ministering the word to his people. It's that important. That's how we're saved as a congregation. Timothy says, pay close watch to yourselves and to the teaching for by doing so, salvation stuff. You save yourself and your hearers. We don't just come because like, oh, what new stuff? No, no, we come to, to experience the salvation of God. That's why James said, receive the word with humble hearts, that word that's able to save your souls. That's why it's labor to be easily edified. I don't like the way he preaches it. Is it true? Was it faithful? Did it point you to Christ? You could live off that then. Oh, this is why Paul wrote to young Timothy, wherever the churches were, what did the pastors do? Preach the word. Give them the word. Let the word be central. Word, all word, everything. Listen to how stacked up in intensity this is. Uh, Paul told Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Do we get why the next word he says is preach the word? The highest task, the highest charge, the highest honor, the highest weight is the word being rightly divided, rightly distributed, 
rightly received. Dear brother, preach the word. To be consistently giving the flock the word and the flock gather for it. I was reading uh, a little book by John Owen called The Duties of Christian Fellowship. And he wrote something that I think would irritate almost every congregant. But he said, yo, you should gather whenever your pastor says you should. I'm free to say this because I'm not a pastor here now. It would be awkward if it was me. But what he's saying is he's, he's feeding you Christ. And if he's prepared a meal, you're not going to be there? You can take that too far. You also not take it far enough. John 21, 15 through 17. Resurrected Jesus when they had finished breakfast. Come on now. Jesus was making breakfast, feeding them, right? They show up. <clears throat> Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter should have said no, but I do love you. That was the right answer, because last time he got in trouble for saying, I love you more than everybody. Even if everybody else turns away, I'm not going to turn away. I think that was like a, it wasn't shade, it was just, I think he was giving him opportunity. <laughs> he says, do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The Bible says Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now the question is, feed them what? Jesus doesn't say what to feed them. Peter knew what to feed them. Feed them my word. Feed them me. Which means that the preaching of the word, the communication of the word, the centrality of the word must mean the communication and the centrality of Christ. To be devoted to the word should not be misunderstood as being different than being devoted to Christ. The word, the word made flesh is Christ. This book is about Christ. Anybody's going to be in this pulpit rightly communicating to God's church, they better be feeding Christ. Feed them my word, feed them me. Which is why you appreciate what Paul's like, listen, by the all-knowing judgment eyes of God, give them the word. But Paul didn't think that a contradiction to say, and I choose to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Which means to rightly preach the word is the same as preaching Christ and him crucified, which means to rightly preach the word is to show how it communicates Christ, how it testifies of what he done, and how it calls us to live in light of that. And this is why these, these saints were gathering, not just to hear another rabbi sermon, they were gathering to hear the word of Christ, the word of Christ preached, to hear the word of Christ applied. Oh, and when the word's going out right, it's all kinds of blessings. Y'all know that, brethren, we have met to worship. Nope, there it is. Look it up, it's edifying. But in the song they're praying at the congregation, they say, pray. 
with all your power while we try to preach the word so that blessing comes down. You never know when God has appointed a blessing. You never know which convo is going to change your life. You never know which time, under which sermon, or singing which song. God is going to give you power and strength and maybe deliverance from a besetting sin. You, you don't know what opportunities God creates when the worship of God is occurring. Some people don't mind showing up to movies late. I ain't one of them. I don't necessarily care about trailers because I can see them all online now. But I do not like missing a second of the movie. I want all of that. Similarly, the saints have gathered in it. They're like, we like, we want all the black. We want all the means of grace. We want all the grace we can get. We've been cut off long enough. Now we get access. Oh, and, and at any times and in any ways, and, and, and they were devoted to the word at all different times, all different seasons, all different places. Paul, Paul would later say, you know how I went from house to house and to public, ceaseless, day and night, preaching the word. Which means that I think a lot of times it was in a context like this. Sometimes it was over on someone's sofa. And we can see that. Have we not learned much from the word of God in various settings? Have we not learned much from the Sermon on the Mount? And equally as much in the nighttime when Nicodemus comes to ask Jesus questions? It might be in the thick of the Sunday morning gathering. It might be at that evening service nobody comes to. It may be at a Bible study. It might be at the dining room table late one evening. When the word's out, the power goes. Charles Spurgeon says, sometimes these out-of-season sermons preached at night or at some unusual time have been more service than the regular observances of God's house. Wherever the word is preached, the power of God's voice accompanies it. The Lord poured out blessings on mountainside. He preached to people on the shore from his boat. We received grace through listening to his conversations with his disciples as they went on the way. The disciples and us too were instructed over a dinner table. In fact, the dinner table became the institution of a whole ordinance. And now all these regular places been converted into pulpits and sanctuaries as the saints come together for that word. Listen, I don't care if a preacher wears a suit or not. We should only care that he wears the chains of Christ. We should hear those chains shaking each Sunday, each Bible study, each time of instruction. When that Bible opens, you should hear those chains rattle as the man chained to the book gives us Jesus. Amen. There are some things you can't get too much of. You can't get too much of Christ. We are not surprised to find an affection for God's word mark the life of Christ himself. A great example, a great high priest. He who was called the word made flesh, even at a young age, he missed the bus home because he was devoted to the teaching. He was in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. Oh, no one had the word dwell in them like Jesus. No one could abide in the commands of God like Christ. And every day he was teaching in the temple, every opportunity he was teaching his disciples. Even after he ascended, he promised the helper would come to keep teaching them. Early saints understood that to have the word of Christ dwell in them richly, they must be devoted to the word as a body. 
and so they were. Another means we see listed here is that they were devoted to the fellowship. Fellowship. This is not watching a movie together. This is not playing spades. This is not a barbecue. If you have a barbecue without actually sharing what you have in common with, in Christ, that is not fellowship. That is good food. It's not good fellowship. You go to a movie and you're not reflecting on what God has done. The thankfulness in your heart is not fellowship. You, went, you had leisure time. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is the enjoyment and expression of our shared participation in Christ. To be united to Christ means that you are united to his people. Our union with Christ means experiencing or sharing what was ours with him and what is his with us. That's what fellowship is. It's to have things in common. We brought the debt. We brought the sin. We brought the sorrow. And Christ was made to bear the consequence of that. What was ours became his. He came to be like us and to share in our state. In order to be with us, he had to become like us and he had to suffer for us. Only then could we enjoy fellowship with God in peace. We're told that to save us, Jesus came to share in our experience. What we used to have a share of, though, is death only. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible says. So our share was in death. Our fellowship was with the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what is true for everyone who still lives in their sin. All the fellowship that unbelievers actually have is fellowship in sin with the devil under judgment. So not only is there a fellowship in the sin, we also know that that fellowship leads to a fellowship in the consequences. So Revelation 21 says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion, their share, will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those who continue after false gods, who continue in their sin, they will share in the condemnation of the enemies of God. And we'll be together under God's wrath, abidingly with all the rest of those who despise him. Hell is a place of fellowship. It's just a fellowship of suffering. But Jesus. He came to change what we have access to and what we have a share of. Jesus came and dwelt among us. Jesus came and became like us. Jesus came and became a curse for us. Jesus came and suffered the judgment of God in our place. Jesus came and died for our sins on that cross. God's word says that he likewise partook of the same things. He had a share in them, the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of slavery were uh, through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery so we find that his fellowship in our sin is actually what brought about our freedom and deliver us he did and what a great deliverance it was by tasting death oh yeah by tasting death for us all and then raising from the dead so that we might all share in the newness of life he he he, he came and took the 
fellowship in sin and sorrow and shame. He, he bore our transgressions. He carried our griefs, and he carried them away from us so that we get to carry what he had, which was fellowship with God. You remember that prayer? The way you love me, you now love... I want them to be in that love. I want them to know that fellowship. And that's what happened at the cross, beloved. That is the gospel call, that God is willing to share his eternal life with anyone who turns from their sins and comes to Jesus. You can, anyone can leave the fellowship of death and come everlastingly into the fellowship of the living because Jesus opened the door of fellowship in his body on the tree. And this is the highest joy for every saint, that our fellowship is with God, that we are now reconciled to God. We used to be estranged. We weren't walking with him. We didn't have access to him. But now we are with God. Now because of Jesus, we get a share in him. Colossians says we have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, which means we get to share in everything that was Christ's. We share in his suffering. We share in his death. We share in his victory. We share in his spiritual blessings. It says he seated us with him in heavenly places and bestowed on us every spiritual blessing. We share in his reign. We share in the Holy Spirit. Oh, beloved, in Revelation, we are those said to have a share in the tree of life and in the holy city described in that book. We get it all, overflowing grace, uninterrupted peace, unceasing mercies, and the fixed security of the eternal covenant, all of which is provided to us because we have fellowship with God, because we have come to have a share in Christ. Jesus shares what he had with us. That's the blessings of the gospel and the, the new arrangement in his blood. What was his is now ours. Now as his people, we share all we have in Jesus with all those Jesus has shared that with. When you look at what's happening in Acts 2, it makes a lot of sense when you start there. When you start with how Jesus shared everything, then you look at the church and say, oh, that's why y'all share everything. This is why we see that they had all things in common. This is why they were devoted to each other and in the fellowship. Us, individually, who have been shared with by Christ and then sharing that share with each other. What we share in common isn't anything in our flesh. I don't want none of that. You keep that. Our fellowship is not our hobbies. It's not our political positions, our fleshly family lineages, our ethnicities, our affinities. Our fellowship is our Christ and in our Christ alone. And we find that he is abundantly full to satisfy. I found out a couple years ago I got an older brother. He's 42. And we share the same DNA. We share the fact we have the same father, but we have no fellowship. We have no fellowship at all. We're, in one sense, we're family. In another sense, we're not at all. And on the flip side, I have no idea who a brother or sister in the Lord might be on any given Lord's Day. But the reality is, if they're united to Christ, and I'm united to Christ, and I'm united to them, and we actually literally share everything. Yeah. That's why our family bond is so strong. Because our Jesus is so full. 
And now Jesus does this best, did he not? He shared it all with us. Jesus 15, he said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. He says, I shared it with you. Oh, his example, beloved, he shared that. His righteousness, he shared that. His sacrifice, he shared that. His father, he shared him with us. His spirit, he shares him with us. His rule, his reign, he shares with us. His kingdom, he shares with us. His body, he shares with us. His character, he's shared with us. We can now become partakers of his divine nature because he shared his nature with us. His resurrection, he shared with us. His home, he's shared with us. His very self, even his glory, he's shared with us. And the saints are like, and we share our stuff too. Devoted. Committed, the family of God, because they have been shared with by God, they're eager to share with. And that's what shapes the saints. No wonder they were always together, daily even, having all things in common, sharing their possessions as any had need, sharing their homes, sharing their food, sharing their burdens, sharing whatever they could share. They got that from Jesus. Amen. Brings us to the third means we see, and that's the breaking of bread. They were devoted to that too. Now, this phrase, the breaking of bread, can mean a couple different things. It can either mean some food, which I could use now. It can be a reference to a simple meal, or it can mean the Lord's Supper, the meal signifying the Christian message. Now, this phrase certainly sometimes does refer to a regular meal. If you look down even at verse 46, that seems to be the idea that's very clearly there, that they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. I, I do think in that particular instance, it is talking about meals. But I would understand in, in verse 42, that breaking of bread, I would understand it to refer to the Lord's Supper, and there's two main reasons for that. The first reason is that Jesus commanded that the saints take the Lord's Supper regularly. Luke wrote it down in Luke 22. So Acts is written by Luke. Luke was written by Luke. Luke 22, uh, 17 through 20, and it says, And he took a cup, and when he given thanks, he said, Take this cup, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If this is not a reference to the breaking of bread in Acts, we essentially have a book written by the same author of the Gospel of Luke, chronicling the development of the church without a single reference to the Lord's Supper in it at all which I don't think is the case, which is why I think it would be significantly perplexing if this didn't refer to the Lord's Supper. But again, I think it does. The second and main reason is the immediate context. This is listed in the same statement among the chief activities of worship among the people of God, being devoted to the word, being devoted to fellowship, being devoted to prayer, teaching, the fellowship, those 
This is all directly after Luke described the baptism service. I think the difference between the two references of breaking of bread in verse 42 and in verse 46 is the emphasis. In verse 46, the emphasis seems to be on the way that they ate their food with glad and generous hearts. But here there seems to be something special about the meal portion itself, particularly involving the breaking of bread, particularly loaded with spiritual significance. Something Luke wrote about, something the church was commanded to do by Christ, something Paul taught all the churches about. And so it would seem natural that when the church thought about worship and the breaking of bread, they would have absolutely associated it with the Lord's Supper. So that's why I think this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And even if you disagree, I hope that you're edified by thinking about the Lord's Supper with me. Part of why the Lord's Supper is given, dear saints, and it's had such a prominent place in the worship assembly This is what it reminds us of and what it communicates. Just as the teaching of the church is centered in the gospel and the fellowship of the church is made possible by the gospel, the breaking of bread is the displaying of the gospel. It's a simple sign that profoundly preaches. The Lord's Supper preaches that Jesus alone is how we are all bound together with God and how we are all bound together with each other. That Jesus has done all that is needed to save us, to secure us, and that he's promised to return and retrieve us. Without Christ, there is no church. There is no Lord's Supper. There is no family. There is no hope. But Christ has died. Christ has been raised. And Christ is coming again. And that is the most important fact every single day. When we get together, what we really need to be reminded about is the significance of the death, burial, and resurrection and return of our King, Jesus. And we didn't come up with that. We're not smart enough to come up with that. Jesus commanded us that. Listen, remember me. How are we going to forget you, Lord? Is that Peter stuff, right? No, no, remember me, preach me, remember why you're together, pray to me, pray through me, sing to me, and your food should preach me. From the beginning, Jesus commands that his death, his burial, his resurrection be proclaimed in the church and gave us this ordinance as a sign of showing it. Paul says, whether we eat or drink, we do all for the glory of God, and we don't ever do that as much for the glory of God as when we do it at the Lord's Supper. I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Paul said. This is something in perpetuity for all the churches. It's something the church does when they come together. We're not supposed to do this again at the movie night. This is something we do in little sections. This is what we're saying. Hey, we're a body together. That's part of the sign. We have been bound together because of what Jesus did. We have been raised together because of how Jesus got up. And we're waiting together for our king to return. And we see why this is located among the activities of the family of faith. The Lord's Supper is not a personal sign. It's a corporate one. That's why the Lord's Supper is bound up with baptism and membership because of texts like these where they're all connected. We're not just professing our own personal relationship with Jesus. We're actually professing our unity as a corporate profession that we're trusting in Christ together. What a blessed effect it has on the body. How it helps us to keep short accounts when we sin against each other. To remember that he was forgiven all our sins. 
is the means of and requires us to forgive the sins of each other. That he who has left heaven to have a close relationship with us requires us to do all that's needed to have a close relationship with one another. He has kept no grudges against us. We keep no grudges against each other. His love has covered a multitude of our sins, and so our love covers a, the multitude of sins for each other. And we're not the ones to be pitied in the world. We have a judge who's coming back. Not to judge us, but to judge all those who are not waiting for his return. We are those who are in the waiting room. We are those who are waiting for him to come get us. We are those with the promise to enter into his rest when he comes to retrieve his people. And Jesus, remember that and keep that central when you come together to worship me. Dear saints, lastly, I just want to think about the prayers. I thought about how they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and not surprised, right? They're devoted to the prayers. Just as the Spirit filled the community in prayer to begin with, he continues to have the church be devoted to prayer ongoingly. Oh, beloved, do you remember how the means of grace finds its power? Jude writes, uh, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's all connected with keeping ourselves in the love of God. Oh, of the highest privileges Jesus shares with us, and there's many, as we just reflected on, few rival the privilege of unhindered direct access to God. Go through Acts and you will find the saints praying. The Holy Spirit fell in response to prayer. Ministers were identified in response to prayer. Missionaries were sent out in prayer. Clarity about the gospel was given in prayer. Deliverance from evil was secured in prayer. You'll find prayers of intercession. You'll find gospel opportunities connected with prayer. You'll find being filled with joy and boldness in response to prayer. Ministers being called and devoted to prayer, right? We ourselves will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Oh, go through the New Testament and you will find all kinds of prayer. Prayer for growth in godliness, prayers for healing, prayer for understanding, prayers to know God's depth. We see ministers struggling on church's behalf in prayer. We see ministers asking the church to help out in prayer. Paul says we're to be constant in prayer, sober-minded in prayer, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication. Oh, together, the saints, we're committed to gathering and pleading, oh, God, help us. Oh, God, you've helped us, and they keep saying, oh, God, help us. And the reason this marks the people of God is because nothing we do can be done without him. You can't sing a song with the right attitude without God. We need thankfulness in our hearts. We need, who's the king of the heart? We would set our mind to things above. Who's, who's, who's the one who knows the thoughts that are in our mind? We, we need to be protected from the evil one. Who got arms for that? We need to understand the word of God, but who's the one who conceals and reveals meaning? We, we want people to come to life. Who's able to bring a man from the dead? We need, we need powerful work done in our midst. We need people to grow in godliness. We need marriages to be mended. We need saints to be delivered. And who got power for that? He does. Let's go. Yeah, they're here. And I, I bet it went like this. They're hearing God talk to them. 
And just like we always do, when we hear God talk to us, we see stuff. New things we have access to, or even things we've forgotten we have access to, or things we need to grow in. And the question is, what do you do with those things? You pray about them. Help me, help me, help me. And he is the help of his people. Oh, the reason this marks God's people is because if you go through the Gospels, we see this commitment to pray mark the Lord Jesus himself. You got time to pray. No one was more busy than Jesus, and no one prayed more than Jesus. Praying in private, praying with his people, even when they heard him pray, they, they knew something was different about his prayers, and they said, would you teach us how to they saw powerful displays of glory in response to his prayer. Few people recognize that at his baptism and at his transfiguration, when the glory popped off, it says they were in prayer. In his darkest moments, Jesus was with the saints praying. And though they failed, his prayers did not. Indeed, his prayers secured the success of their faith. <laughs> Jesus called them to pray. They failed to pray with him, and his prayers is what kept them. And even now, in his resurrected glory, we're told that he ever lives above and is seated on the throne of grace to help us in our prayers, in our pleas, in weakness. You think of all the tasks that the Lord Jesus takes up with great joy in his resurrected state, and one of them is ready to help in all our needs. Yo, he came, lived a life that was always right in God's sight, suffered on the rugged cross to save us from sin, died the death the sinner deserves, rose from the dead with power and glory, vindicated 100%, ascended with some angels taking him up, seated at the right hand of his father on high, and what he is pleased and delighted to be devoted to is answering prayers, giving help. Yo, what? But he loves to help us. Those are means of grace, saints. Not all of them, just some of them. I just want to leave you with this last thought from J.C. Ryle. I've always found this a helpful thing to consider about the importance of the means of grace and just our own pledge to be committed to participating as we ought to. This is the bishop. He was a bishop for real, for real. <laughs> I mean, pastor, you're a bishop, but you know. <clears throat> he said, we shall all do well to remember the charge, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Never to be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never to miss the Lord's Supper when administered in our own congregation. Never to let our place be empty when means of grace are going on. This is one way to be a growing and prosperous Christian. Very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word in season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered and established and quickened our hearts. We little know how dependent our spiritual health is on little 
regular, habitual helps and how much we suffer if we miss our medicine. Oh, dear Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that they love your word. They love who your word's about. Pray that you'll bless them, Lord. We know that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, Lord. And we, we ask, Lord, that you would bless them. Bless them, Lord. Pray that you would help them to be devoted as a congregation to your word. I pray, Lord, that you help them to be devoted to fellowship, that people might see how much they share as a reflection of what they've come to share in Christ. I pray that you would help them to be serious, sober, and rejoicing as they take the Lord's Supper. As often as they do it, Lord, may it point to you powerfully in their midst. Lord, may this be a praying church. Trust they are. I heard they have already today. Oh, may it continue more and more. May you meet them in prayer, amaze them with your answers, and may you give much glory from this dear body. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Amen.